0: Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. For copyright and disclaimers, as well as information about how to contact the iCritical Care staff, please listen to the notice at the end of this podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Savell. Today is Monday, February 2nd, 2009. And we are recording this podcast during the 38th Critical Care Congress here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our guest today is well known to most of us in critical care. He is currently the president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Mitchell Levy, MD, FCCM. He is currently professor of medicine at the Brown University School of Medicine and director of the Medical Intensive Care Unit at Rhode Island Hospital. Uh, I've had him as a guest on my program uh, multiple times, focusing in on issues relating to the Surviving Sepsis Campaign, which he's currently a member of the Executive Committee. Today, however, he is joining us as President of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, and he will share with us some of his goals and vision. Thank you again, Dr. Levy, for being part of our show.
2: Thanks for having me, Rich. It's nice to be here.
1: Uh, I thought we'd begin, you know, I, I live in New York City, and so well aware of all the Economic crises that the whole country is facing, and the spotlight is on critical care even more than usual, given the the cost of good critical care. And I, I thought we'd give you an opportunity to speak. Uh, I know you've written extensively on this about rationing in the ICU and to share some of your thoughts as president in this uh, time of economic trouble.
2: Well, I think it's a, obviously this time of economic trouble is going to have profound effects on health care. And in particular, when you think about it, the number of hospital beds is shrinking while the percentage of hospital critical care beds is actually growing, which means that the need for critical care physicians and all members of the team is becoming much more important. And at the same time, our health care system is in crisis. In particularly in the United States, we start with 43 million uninsured Americans. And as people get laid off and businesses fail, the ranks of the uninsured is getting larger because people can no longer f- afford prohibitively in expensive health care insurance. And the implication of that is that, and the data speak loudly to this in the literature, the uninsured wait longer when seeking medical help than those who are, who are insured. They often use emergency rooms as their primary point of contact for medical care. There was a recent article, in fact, in the New York Times that expressed the concerns of a number of emergency room directors around the country about the increased numbers of visits they're seeing from people who used to have insurance and now no longer have insurance and are using EDs as their primary care docs. In addition, we know that when they, when uninsured do seek medical help, they're sicker and they have worse outcomes. So,
1: <clears throat> so potentially putting even more pressure on Absolutely. ICUs, right?
2: Yeah, and I think we're going to see that happen more and more, which is why it's so important at this time that critical care physicians nurses the entire critical care team begin thinking about how we're going to handle some of this increased flow of patients who really didn't get good quality or any critical uh, medical care before and now wind up in the ICU with sicker.
1: And so we have to take the perspective as as members of the team to be efficient and make do with the resources we have. It's not the kind it's not the time that we're going to be handed many more resources, I guess, right?
2: I think that's exactly right. I also think it becomes important to to think about where we discharge our patients to. So in the past, of course, depending on where you work, for some of us, we know that we discharge our folks to an unprotected environment, uh, so to speak. But more and more, that's going to be the case where what we think a patient's going to do when they... Our discharge is probably not necessarily what's going to happen. So it changes the way we think about discharge.
1: And that causes its own pressures on on, on the, the sort of tight beds of an ICU, right? Sure, exactly. Um, as a as next topic, you know, I've, I've been meeting with a lot of my colleagues here, and I'm seeing a lot of new faces, and I'm doing my best to explain to them why it's important to join SCCM, to be part of SCCM. And as I've learned over the last Five or six years or so, you can get involved in many different levels, many of which can be very gratifying. And I thought this would be a terrific opportunity for you to explain to them why this is so important.
2: <laughs> well, there's a couple of answers to that question. I, I think the first and most important answer is the critical care team. We pay a lot of lip service to this dedicated team of in, uh, integrated team of dedicated experts and talk a lot about teamwork. And, and in a way, sometimes it becomes played out. But honestly the the essence of good critical care is founded on the interdisciplinary team you medical care has become so complex that there's no one person on the critical care team that's most important and that it requires a team to make sure that we're paying to all paying attention to all the details of bedside care and only through that can we ensure that every area is being covered so to speak so i think that's what makes the society unique. Of course, all North American societies are aware of this, but the Society of Critical Care Medicine actually embodies that. We're founded on a multidisciplinary model, and we're not rooted in one aspect of medical care versus another. And so that's what separates us, I think, from the rest of critical care, certainly in the United States.
1: And as, as you pointed out, not just physicians with vastly different backgrounds, but people who are not physicians at all, obviously.
2: Exactly right, that's the entire point. That's why I say interdisciplinary. Physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, pharmacists, social workers, et cetera, et cetera, all members of the critical care team. From my point of view, often one of the most important members is discharge planning. So when you think about it, and I work in an intensive care unit, where getting patients out is n- not always an easy task. So we depend on our discharge planner because we have problems with throughput. And so good quality care in my ICU obviously depends on having a bed available for the really sick patients. So that's a good example of how every member of that team is crucial to providing high-quality care.
1: So one of the things that's been... Um fun for me, uh, meeting with a lot of leaders in critical care is finding out this topic of mentorship. It was important to me and you know, I, I'm interested in finding out most of the leaders I've met with had their own stories of their own mentorship and how they've decided and how they've worked out mentoring others. So if you could take a few minutes to talk about that, I'd be, I'd be grateful.
2: I'm happy to do that. Although I think you might get a different answer than you expected. I remember when I was in medical school, um, I won't say when, one of the interesting comments that I got from my chairman of the Department of Medicine when he was giving me a grade, which was a good grade, but he said that the problem that he identified with me was that I hadn't yet found a mentor, and that I should find someone on faculty who I admired and just imitate that person. And I found that really ludicrous, actually, because That's not what mentoring is. Mentoring isn't finding someone who seems good or cool or whatever your reference point is and just imitating them. Mentoring and being mentored is a two-way process where first you identify together what your goals are, what you want to learn from each other, and then you track that over time and you look to see if you're achieving your goals on both sides. So for me... In medicine, I think that first and foremost, a mentor should be someone who allows a young physician, a young nurse, a young respiratory therapist to learn how to integrate being a human being and being a good caregiver. That to me is the beginning of mentoring because if all that mentoring is, is teaching someone how to learn how to publish, then we will get sometimes exactly what we wind up with, a very good publisher, but not someone who you really want to go be taken care of at the bedside.
1: Um, the other part of it, though, is gi- being given the confidence to be a leader. And that's a separate thing. Now, you could t- say that people are either born with it or not. But uh, part of that is getting confidence from a mentor, I guess, right?
2: Well, I think that's exactly the point. And I think a good mentor is is often good. I judge good teachers by their students and how far they go. Not so much by their their, the mentor's accomplishments, but by their students' accomplishments. And by that, I mean that a good mentor should encourage independent thinking on the part of the mentees so that they learn how to tell the mentor, I totally disagree with you, and develop a full sense of pride and independent thought that allows them to grow and evolve as a researcher, as a physician, and as a, their own teacher. So a good mentor provides ample room for a mentee to make their own mistakes, to learn from their mistakes, in a kind of contained environment and a protected environment so that you get you get enough feedback so that your mistakes aren't too big, but enough room and latitude so that you learn to trust yourself, grow, whether it's right. as a researcher, as a bedside clinician, a bedside nurse, or a leader you need to have the room to discover your own voice and your own style and a good mentor should provide that kind of generosity to facilitate your own growth
1: um we've got uh, a few more minutes i thought we'd give you uh, an opportunity to talk about either um, new updates or new courses or other exciting uh, new parts of sccm for this year if you'd like to discuss that
2: Well, we have a lot of plans for this year, and I don't think we have enough time to cover all of them, but there are a couple of things I would like to highlight. First and foremost, I think we are beginning to partner with the other critical care societies, not just in North America, but around the globe. In particular, our partners in Europe, in India, in Korea, and China, and and our partners here in the United States to, I I believe, to do a justice to the field by having common initiatives. We have a lot of examples in the past where we created multiple guidelines in different societies on the exact same thing, which I think a lot of us believe is a disservice to the field. So one of the things we're working hard to do now is coordinate our efforts. And that's nowhere more true than in working with third-party payers in the government uh, as performance measurers, pay for performance, and other regulatory infringements on our autonomy become more prevalent in practice, it becomes extremely important that we have a voice at the table. And in order to have a voice at the table, we're stronger as partners in critical care than as individual societies.
1: So that there's not like... Uh, subtle but sort of not so meaningful differences between the European guidelines on something versus the American guidelines and things like that.
2: That's exactly right. Where there are regional differences, they should be identified, and they're very important. But where there are commonalities of patients and responses, they should also be emphasized in the interest of standardizing care and improving patient outcomes. And the other important thing that we're doing this year is we're beginning to develop a task force for looking into and refining the way we can use evidence to guide clinical practice. So a lot of us within the society and other societies believe that clinicians do appreciate some guidance from academics, from experts, etc., and and I think, to a certain extent, we've devolved into argument about whether or not we can really use the evidence, as opposed to simply refining the process so that all of us as academics we can get the offer evidence something. out there. That's exactly right. So that's another project for this year.
1: Um, and and but your point is very well taken. I'm lucky enough to help be on a, on a task force that's writing some guidelines, and it is striking a balance between getting it right academically crossing every single t and dotting every i which is important but on the other hand turning that into a set of guidelines that can be meaningful to, to a
2: practicing clinician, right? I think that's exactly right. I think one of the fears that's expressed very commonly by both academics and practicing clinicians is that one size doesn't fit all. And of course that's right. So a single set of performance measures not, may not apply to the entire population. Having said that, that's no reason to reject trying to standardize care because clearly the wide variation that we have in clinical practice can't possibly be good.
1: Um, And as a final part of the podcast, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about your perspectives on uh, this year and SECM, any sort of major goals that you have for the society or any uh, outlooks that you have going into the beginning of this year.
2: Well, I said in my presidential address, and I, in fact, I'm going to write about it over these this next year in Critical Connections, that I think the two most important aspects of being a caregiver is first really just simply remembering to care, remembering why we came to critical care, and how important it is for us to remember those roots, which is the roots of compassion and learning how to just simply care for patients in a very uncomplicated way, but to look at our patients as human beings and deeply care for them. And that applies not just to end of life care for people who are dying, but just as importantly, good compassionate care for people who are likely to survive. And that's something that I hope to really highlight over the course of this year. And then the other thing that I really hope we can move forward with over the course of this year is this idea that the other aspect that makes for good clinical care is allowing ourselves to be held accountable. I think it's appropriate for us to expect that patients will hold us accountable for what we do. It's more than just trusting us that we have our patients' best interests at heart. I think we have to sort of demonstrate exactly what happens to our patients over time. So the evolution of accountability and encouraging all of us as clinicians to embrace that is another goal for my presidential year.
1: Um, As always, Dr. Levy, it's a tremendous opportunity, and I'm glad you were able to come by. We've been speaking with Dr. Mitchell Levy. Dr. Levy is currently the president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. He's a professor at Brown and the director of the medical ICU at Brown and a friend. Thank you so much, Dr. Levy.
2: Thank you for having me, Rich.
1: This concludes our podcast. I'm Dr.
0: Richard Sebel. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Members receive discounts on all SCCM educational programs and resources. Please ask to speak to a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org for more information. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is the Society's Associate Editor for Podcasts, Richard Savell, MD, FCCM. Dr. Savell is the Medical Co Director of the Surgical Intensive Care Unit at Montefiore Medical Center in New York City. Practicing under the leadership of Vladimir Kavetin, MDFCCM. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.